Well, good morning, uh, LLC. Um, happy Mother's Day uh, to all you uh, moms uh, out there, uh, whether you're a first-time mom, uh, whether you have kids that are school age, toddlers, um, high school, university, uh, or you're empty nester, or you've experienced loss in the past, or you've been trying to have kids and it's been uh, a difficult season. Uh, I just wanna say we honor you uh, today, uh, this morning, uh, that we're thinking about you. And like Michelle shared, uh, don't you ever think what you're doing and that, um, in your families and in your relationships around you doesn't matter because you're making a tremendous difference. You're raising up the next generation and you're making a difference no matter what it is uh, and how God has given you those motherly instincts uh, to care uh, for, for people uh, around you. Uh, and, and, and if you're, you're a mom today, you would have experienced um, some sort of pressure, I guess, pressure in terms of uh, like pressure to take care of your family, uh, pressure to raise up your kids, a pressure like, like no other. I just want to say to you this morning that you know, don't, don't worry about what the world says. Don't worry about what culture says. There's a reason why you're parenting who you're parenting right now. There's a reason why God has given you that child. And there's a reason why God has given you that heart to care that there's no one better to parent that child, to take care of that child, to grow up that child up than you, because you have been called to it and you've been raised up for a moment like 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 this and but that that, that pressure is real uh, that pressure is real in in our everyday life uh, whether it's the kind of school you put your kid into uh, the, the tutoring classes the, uh, the extracurricular sports um, basketball soccer figure skating gymnastics Chinese school Japanese whatever school <laughs> that you're thinking about there's so many different options out there and you feel a pressure to really be like that but just follow what God is calling you to be. Um, follow how God has wired you and your family. Follow what God is calling you in terms of raising up uh, your kid uh, in the best way that you are possible. Because the standards out there, uh, you maybe raise up the standards for yourself and there's this bar out there what it means to be that perfect mom. Try to scrap that idea. Uh, the perfect mom is the mom that God made you to be and, and the perfect mom that God has called you to be. So hone in uh, into that. Uh, there was a few years ago, it might have been last year, I don't remember, where Jess and I did feel this pressure, uh, this pressure of um, conforming, not even conforming, no one was forcing us to do anything, but we were at a festival at a, a certain school, I'm not going to name it, uh, and we were just having a conversation after conversation with different parents, and we're like, oh, what, what school is uh, Cohen going, going to go into? Because at that moment, he was in preschool, about to go into kindergarten, it's like, oh, are you going to decide between Christian school or public school? Uh, I don't have anything against neither, either of them. Uh, but in that moment, we felt uh, pulled to place Cohen where he's at now. But there was a tremendous pressure. It's like, well, if you don't place your kid in, 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 in private school or place your kid in, in a Christian school, oh, the kid's going to be lost. Or if you, if you place your kid only in, in, um, in a public school setting, and it's kind of a rivalry between uh, those kids and, and the ones in the private school setting. So there's this real pressure that was going on, and no one was forcing us. Uh, to, to do anything. And I've met people in both. There's highs and lows in each one. Uh, God has called us to a specific path, but that pressure is real. Uh, that pressure to, to, uh, to conform or to be like everyone else around you and, and to live uh, in, in a specific and, and according way. And I really believe that the best life that you can live is the life that God's called you to. That it's not to conform to any culture, whatever anyone else is saying, but to hone into what God has called you to do. And I'm not sure if you have the sermon slides up, uh, but one of the ideas uh, that this morning is that we have to make difficult decisions. Uh, that one of the most difficult decisions might not be the most pleasant ones 
either that choosing God and go to the next slide there, that you choose God, uh, that when you choose God, uh, it's always the right choice. Uh, choosing God is always the right choice, but it might lead to some undesired outcomes. That even though you're following and being the best parent you, you want to be, uh, even though you're living the life that God's called you to be, it might not necessarily lead to uh, the place uh, that's the best. You're like, well, I follow God and I listen to you and I thought you're going to lead me to this place, but it sure seems like I'm in the flames, like in the story we, we read today. That when you obey God and when you choose God, even though it's the right choice, it may lead to these um, undesired outcomes. Now, why is that a good thing? Well, the thing is, like, if you're listening to God, um, everything that God does is for his glory and also for your good. That if you follow him in, in that way, he's leading you, even though it might be dicey, even though it might be dangerous, even though it might be difficult. God is leading you to a place that you need to be and where God is, is the best place to be. And that's what faithfulness looks like. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of God. And that's what it looks like to, to follow God. Uh, the story that we're reading today that, um, uh, that Emily Boothley read for us is set in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and the book of Daniel is all about God's sovereignty. It's about God reigning uh, over his creation, over everything that you see, but not only over creation. It, it, the story of Daniel is about God reigning over earthly kings, that there's no earthly scenario, no earthly situation that's too great for God to handle. Yet, if you have an opportunity, read through the book of Daniel, and you see that, that Daniel chapter 1 starts off with uh, the, uh, the Israelites um, being captured by, uh, by Babylon, that Babylon comes in, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and his army comes in, besieges the city in Jerusalem, and, take, and, and wins that battle, and takes away these men and women uh, off into a foreign land to worship these foreign gods and to follow a king that they do not believe in. And then in chapter two, uh, there's a, a strange scene where the king, it's ne ne King Nebuchadnezzar, has this dream and he goes and talks to his wise men because he's perplexed by it and troubled by it. And he asks his wise men, like, what does this dream mean for them to interpret it for, for King Nebuchadnezzar? But there's a kicker. Uh, not only do they need to interpret uh, what the dream is, the king never actually tells them what the dream is. So imagine someone telling you to come and be like, hey, interpret this dream for me, but not only interpret this dream for me, uh, but tell me what my dream was. Uh, so these wise, wise men are like, king, this is way too much to ask for. Who in this land could ever do something like this? So the king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, orders this, uh, this command to kill all the wise men. Basically, he's like, what use are you? Uh, you can't read my dreams. You, don't, you can't interpret it. So what are, good are you, wise men? So Daniel gets this news, and he's one of the wise men. And he gets this news like, well, this is terrible. You know, this is troubling. And he prays. And he's like, God, like tonight, uh, today, like I only have like 24 hours to live. So can you reveal to me this dream? And that night he has a dream and he gets revelation in terms of what King Nebuchadnezzar has. Uh, he goes and interprets the dream and Nebuchadnezzar falls on his knees and says, surely your God is great. Uh, and and uh, promotes Daniel to be the wise man of all wise men. He's the chief wise man of all the wise men. Uh, and his friends, uh, 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 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get promoted uh, as well along with them. And that sets the tone for Daniel chapter 3 because we see here that at the end of chapter 2, uh, the king uh, places Daniel in high position and he lavishes him with gifts. And it seems like King Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, declares that the God that Daniel and his friends follow is the one true God. But we see in Daniel chapter 3, which you don't have an opportunity to read all the way through, but we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds an a, a, a image a gigantic image that's uh, that's 90 feet tall, that's nine feet wide on the plains of, on, on, on the flat plains there. So there's this massive 
monuments that's that's resurrected resurrected onto that plane there and people are to worship it so he calls a big party uh, anyone that's anyone so uh, in, in verse two, he calls on the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials. So anyone that's anyone to come before this image of gold, of which we're not told what it is, but we have our suspicions that is an image of himself. We'll see why later. But to come down, and not only that, every time you hear the music from all of these different instruments, that they're to bow down and to worship this image. Now, so that sets the tone to the, for, for today, uh, because in the midst of that, even though everyone there is supposed to worship this image and they're supposed to raise up um, their worship uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar and this image of gold that they have made, there's three characters here that we read up that they do not do it. Uh, they, they choose God instead, and it leads to an undesirable outcome, which leads to a, an awesome outcome as well, uh, the miracle that we're going to study uh, here today. Uh, we see here that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say no. And you can imagine it, right? Like that's the command to the people there that every time you hear this music, that's the scenario, that's the setting there. Every time you hear the loud music, everything that's going, every time there's a crowd there and you see the gigantic, awesome gold image that you're supposed to bow down in worship. But these three there don't do it. Can you imagine everyone there, the whole crowd goes on their knees and worship. And there's these three that stand out like a sore thumb. Uh, could you imagine at that moment, if you were there, what would you have done? Would you have succumbed to that kind of pressure? Uh, would you have conformed to what's going on around there? I know the pressure and the temptation is, is real. You could almost hear the whispers going on as everyone goes down to, to bow to worship. And they see these three and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's friends are like, come on, what are you doing? You know, come on, like, that's just an image. We all know that. Like, it's not real. Like, God knows our hearts, right? God reads and understands what's going on. Just bow down to it. Like, you're going to lose your life because of this. And, and, you know, God knows what's going on. And God can read your mind. God knows that we're actually worshiping him instead of this idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, they don't go for that uh, they don't go for that kind of thinking and attitude they're saying no we have to worship i only worship the one true god I only worship yahweh and i only bow down to him so at everything i'm going to stand and i'm not going to worship this king so we read on in verse 13 he put on that slide there furious with rage nebuchadnezzar summoned reshadrach meshach and abednego so these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Goes on verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of horn, of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very, uh, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Again, this is the setting. Imagine the tremendous pressure. They're not only in the crowd now, but they're standing in front of the king who is able to give them judgment, a judgment that ultimately can end their life. Uh, he also has the, the, the power to free them. But imagine just standing there and the pressure that, that, that happens. And again, I, I imagine uh, what his friends would have thought as they're walking up to the king. And as he's walking up to the king and thinking, just, just, just recant. Just take back everything. Uh, don't profess your faith. Don't tell them which God you worship. Just go on and, and save your life so you can live another day. And this is a real, real challenge here. Do they choose God or do they choose to worship this 
gold image. And, and it really does talk about this real pressure that we face in our time and this in, in our culture that we really do face a similar culture, maybe not to a blazing furnace uh, in that sense. But when you walk out, uh, there's these uh, different cultures that, 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 that we're bombarded by different voices, whether it's within or, or in our families and our relationships and our, in our workplaces. And when we go out into the world, this temptation is real. And it's imagine this again, I, I keep talking about uh, when, when the Bible repeats a certain uh, words, we got to pay attention. It talks about the crowd a lot, talks about the music a lot, talks about the gold image a lot. So it's setting us an image that everything is perfectly set, that the temptation is there. And, and this is where we understand that tem the temptation is never the narrow road. It's always what's around us, what's most accessible, what's right in front of our faces. Uh, never, no one ever says, wow, that temptation was really hard to fall into. Like I, you know, I don't want to enjoy any of it at all. Like no one says that. No, like temptation happens when the setting is right. When you look around and the statue is there and, and the music is going, the crowd is here and the pressure is there. That's when we are, are, are pressured into this temptation. And, and, and the answer, and he gets brought before the king and, and there's this real pressure. And I can't help but think if I was in that state, if you were in that state, what would you have said? Uh, would you have answered? Would you have recanted and taken back uh, your proclamation? Like, what would you have done? And what catches my attention here in, in, in the end of this passage is that, is it true that you don't worship the image of God I've set up? And, he's, and, he, and he says uh, this at the end of, uh, end of 15 here. It's like, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Uh, and it's kind of like a, a challenge to, to uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a challenge to him. It's like, if you truly are following this God, uh, if, if this God really is real, if this God really is going to show up, is he going to rescue you? He's almost mocking them at the end of verse uh, 15 there. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Meaning what God out there is above my power, which kind of makes me think this image of gold is an Im image of him. Like what God out there can possibly save you at this um, moment. But what we learned this, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were ready. They were ready not only to give an answer, but they were ready to not follow through in this temptation. That we learn here that uh, in order to be ready not to follow temptation, you have to already have planted your foot in the kingdom. In order to be ready not to follow temptation, you need to be already, they have already committed to God. They've already said before this point, it wasn't at this moment where they said, oh, I will decide and I really think about it. They, before this moment, before this scene, before the king, they have already decided for themselves that they're ready not to follow him, but they've already dedicated their lives to God. That I belong to Yahweh. I belong to this one true God. I will worship him only so that no matter what temptation comes, no matter what happens in this life, no matter the trials that I face, uh, no matter um, uh, the pressures that I face, no matter... Uh, the pressure to conform to the standards around us, I have already dedicated myself, already decided to choose God. So it doesn't matter what happens around. I've already chosen God. And that's why in verse 16, we read of this, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. We'll go on to the next slide there. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
wow, what a response, right? Like what a tremendous response of faith, like in that moment of pressure, in that moment where they are right before the king, where they should have and could have succumbed and no one really would have blamed them because it's your life at hand. They said, no, King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't need to defend myself before you can imagine the king, you know, what you're talking back to me at this moment. Like I, they're saying, I don't need to defend myself before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, you know, the, then God will serve, you know, the God that we serve, he's able to deliver us and he will deliver us. But this, even if he doesn't deliver us, I'm still not going to worship you. I'm still not going to bow down to you. I'm still going to follow uh, this God that I know is, is, is true. And that really is quite a powerful image uh, for us uh, this morning. That is a powerful image of what it looks like to defend, not only defend your faith, but to stand firm in your faith. It, it gives us a, an, an awesome image of what it looks like to choose God uh, over uh, uh, other things. And what do you think uh, um, uh, Rashad, Meshach, and Abednego are thinking at this time? As they're saying this, do you think they're saying this in a way that they really believe it? Um, Parts of me say yes, but I think parts of me also think if I was in that situation, there'll be moments of doubt. Like now, now why do I say that? That in that moment, even though they made this faithful proclamation, just think about the journey that they've been on. Just in chapter one, they saw their city being pillaged by King Nebuchadnezzar. It was pillaged. It was taken over. I'm sure they prayed then. I'm sure they prayed, God deliver me. Stop this war from happening. Stop these men from coming into our city and taking us away. Remember in chapter one, two, the men and women are being dragged away to this foreign land. I'm sure at this moment, Rashad, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have been praying, God, stop this from happening. God, stop this from, stop these men from terrorizing our city and our people. Stop them from dragging us out right now. As they're in the plains at that moment, I'm sure they were praying, God, deliver us. Knock down that idol. Show them your power. Rain down fire like you have in the past and break that idol of gold and show that the God that you are. So at this moment, do you think Rashak, Meshach, and Abednego had some doubts? I'm sure they did. I'm sure I would have uh, as well. But despite that, despite what they're wrestling with, they still had this faith. Even though I do not see, even though I, it seems like God didn't show up in the past, I still have this faith that this is the same God. That this is the same God that has delivered his people, that parted the seas. That this is the same God that delivered Jonah uh, from, from the belly of the whale and, and with a five-word sermon saved all of Nineveh. That this is the same God that spoke and the universe came into being. That this is the same God. And even if he doesn't do it now, it doesn't neglect who he is. It doesn't counter the good God that, that he is. And this is the faith that he shows. This is the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then, so this enrages the king even more, uh, rightly so. So he, before he was furious with rage, but now he's even more furious. So I'll kind of imagine Nebuchadnezzar, he was like, hey guys, I kind of just promoted you in you know, Daniel chapter 2. And you're kind of, you know, some of my guys here. I really don't want to do this. All right, like, don't do this. Like, I'm sure it's in a really nice tone. They're ang he's angry, but like, hey, come on, don't do this. And that's the way of temptation, right? It's never like, you know, the devil never comes shouting and like, you know, in a really scary kind of voice to you, but kind of in a soothing voice, like, come on, just do it. You know, this is the right thing. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But verse 19, this in we read of how Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. 
and upset. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest men in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I guess these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were really strong, so they needed really strong men uh, to tie them up. I don't know, but that's kind of a, uh, an understanding of how stuck uh, they were in. Uh, so verse 21, so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the, these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. What do we notice here? We notice the repetition. Uh, we, we notice how many times the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, are, are mentioned. We notice how it is mentioned at least three to four times, the blazing furnace, just how hot it is. Seven times, so perfectly hot, I guess. Uh, so in some sense, that's kind of our imagery that we understand here, uh, that they were thrown in. They didn't have time to even like, take off their clothes. They just threw them in with everything there. Because uh, here's the thing. Wouldn't you want to at least keep some of the clothes, right? You kind of cast them over lots and you kind of you know, spread it off with others. There's no time for that. Just threw them straight in. But also, what else is repeated here is that they were firmly tied, right? They're firmly tied uh, and with the strongest men. To come and to tie these ropes, but as we read on, we we, we see that that the, that the people aren't aren't affected here. That they aren't uh, uh, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're they're fine. Uh, we read on and we see that their clothes are fine. Everything is fine. Not even a hair a hair is singed on their body. Uh, that they are protected and and they are um, uh, right where God wants them uh, to be. And, but the only thing that is broken, that is broken off when we read of this, uh, is this in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see these four men walking in the fire, unbound, key, and unharmed, also key. And the fourth looks like the son, a son of the gods. And as you think about this, because of their faith, they could have stopped it from happening. They're thrown into the fire, but yet they're protected because they're faithful to who God is. Uh, God's, God protected them in this moment to make uh, uh, an example, a testimony of what faith looks like here. But notice what's the only thing that is loosened. It wasn't their clothes. It wasn't the hair. Their skin wasn't even burned. Uh, later on, actually, at, at the end of the chapter, uh, we see here that uh, their heads weren't singed, their robes weren't touched, and there wasn't even a smell of fire on them. Uh, so imagine they're standing in this fire, they don't even smell a like campfire. I can't even go into a Korean restaurant uh, without coming out smelling like Korean barbecue, but they're in this huge fire and they don't smell like fire at all. And, and so this is amazing, this is, this is awesome. But the only thing that's loosened here is their, their ropes around their wrists. And that makes me wonder that how sometimes it takes a fire for us to be free. Sometimes it takes a fire for us to be free from whatever it is that's bounding us, whatever it is that's keeping us stuck in where we are. Maybe it's the fire and the trials that you're experiencing right now with COVID-19. It takes, sometimes it takes a fire for us to be free. That is during this time we realize that maybe we've been following the culture of success. Uh, just before this in our community learning, we talked about 
the temptation to produce, you know, to constantly be working for our faith to produce fruit. Maybe it's that kind of striving where you feel like you always need to be doing more and more and more, producing more and more fruit. And it's that, that's the culture that you've been bound in. Maybe it's a certain expectation you placed on yourself. Maybe it's the standards that your friends and, and, and your coworkers and your workplaces are, are setting on you. And it takes a certain fire for you to be free, truly, for you to see clearly, for you to understand what freedom ultimately looks like. Because we ultimately, we, we want, we, no one wants to be in the fire. We shun the fire. We're like, we don't want pain. We don't want suffering. But what if the fire is the way that God refines us, that the fire is the way that God frees us? At this moment, during COVID, and all the reflections that you have, or whatever trials you've had in the past, you've experienced great loss in your life relationships have been broken or maybe you feel like a failure like school hasn't been going the way that you thought or that relationship didn't pan out the way that you thought but instead of being found up by that in that fire of that brokenness in that pain god healed you and god freed you as he did for shadrach meshach and abednego it makes me think of in in first peter where, where peter uh, tells us how we're refined in the fire read from first peter chapter one verse Six, uh, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, with, uh, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor with Jesus, when Jesus Christ is revealed. That is in the fire that this gold is being refined and being purified and being made whole. That is in the fire that you're experiencing right now, perhaps, or in the, in the past, or maybe in the future, that that is how God is going to free you, how God's going to set you free from whatever it is that's binding you, whatever it is that you're feeling stuck in. And I love this because God doesn't just call us to go into the fire by himself, by ourselves. But we read here that King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, didn't we throw three guys in? Did you accidentally throw a fourth in? Like what happened here, right? Like I see three guys there, four guys. They're not only that, they're running around seeming quite free and quite happy. And, and that blows my mind here that we see here there's three of them. There are un, four of them. There's unbounded, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And we understand this, that there's something called Christophany where it's the appearances of Christ before Christ appears in the New Testament. And this is one of them, uh, where theologians think that this is Jesus himself coming out before the incarnation, coming out to be with his people. There's other instances in scripture that talks about this. Uh, when the angel, uh, often the language is an angel, like an angel appearing to Abraham as he's talking about Sodom. I believe that's in uh, Genesis chapter 18. And then again in, in uh chapter 32 when Jacob has this UFC style wrestling match with God uh, and he pops out his hip and imagine that's another Christophany that it was Jesus that he's wrestling with or in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah realizes how uh, how a terrible and a, of a sinner he is and the angel comes and brings the, the hot coal and says you've been purified and your sins are forgiven that that points to Christ that points to the act of Jesus. And we here, we have another example that it is in the fire that Jesus is with you, that it's in the fire that God is with his people, that it's in this fire that they experience Christ, that it is in the fire that his people are able to, able to see Christ so clearly. And I would have, well, maybe not so much love to be in the fire, but I would love to have eavesdropped into that conversation to hear what 
that conversation must have been like, could you imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm not sure what I'll be more freaked out by, that I'm not on fire or there's a fourth person in here uh, with me. But in that sense, like, could you imagine the conversation that, he's, that they're having with, with Jesus there, uh, with God there, that you imagine Jesus saying, well done, you know, you're, you're, like you're surviving in the test, that your faith is proven genuine, that you're here, that you haven't bowed down to any idols. Could you imagine that conversation? And how that would utterly change them for the rest of their lives. And some of you at this moment are feeling like you're in the fire and you're feeling all alone. You're feeling in the valley, like you're walking in the valley all by yourself. But our God is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's with you in the flames. He's with you in the fire. He's with you in the valley. He's with you in the lowest points of life, but he's also with you in the highest points as well. That he's with you in the fire. It's in the fire that we often see Jesus the most clearly. And here's the thing, none of us ultimately deserve any of that, but God chooses to do that for us. That when we live out our faith, when we choose God, even though it comes to an undesirable outcome, no matter the outcome, it is still good because that's where God is. That God shows up and says to you, says to his servant, good and faithful servant, I've been with you the whole time. I've been with you when you felt that pain. I was with you in that broken relationship. I was with you when you're wrestling with your doubts. I was with you when you were beating yourself up over not being perfect. When I've never called you to be perfect, I've called you to be with me. I've been with you through it all. And don't you see that? And I love this in this chapter here that it leads to the praise and honor and glory of God. That's in this flame here, in the place where it's most unlikely, where you think that you would find God, that's where you see God the most clearly. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that no matter the flames that you go through, that the miracle itself is not so much that they survive. The miracle is while they're in the flames that they're able to see God the clearest. In the moments of pain and suffering, when it doesn't make sense to praise and worship God and to see God clearly, it's in that moment that they saw him the clearest. In that conversation, I would have loved to have been a part of that. I want to end with a few application points this morning. That even though the world might be calling you and telling you to do something else, don't follow the voices of the world, but follow the voice of God. Choose God every time. It may not lead to desirable outcomes, but it's not about our desire, but it's about God's desire. It's about his honor and glory, which ultimately leads to our good. So in what ways are you being pulled by culture? In what ways are you being pulled this way and that way? And you need to just be still at this moment and be like, God, what are you saying to me? How are you speaking into my life? Because your voice is king. You're the one that I will ultimately worship. Um, maybe some of you are thinking, man, there's nothing after th these trials. And I realize this full well, that for many in, in scripture, when they live out their faithfulness, it doesn't necessarily lead to life on this earth, but it does lead to life eternally. But we see here that after this persecution, at the very end of in, in verse 30, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're promoted. That's often after the persecution that you're raised up. After this persecution, after you go through the valley of fear, after you go through the flames, that's when you're lifted up with God. And he's promoted you to do even greater things, to do even greater things than you can ever imagine, that you've been refined through that fire, that this moment of refining is not wasted, but God is preparing you for something so great, for something better than what you could ever think about. So those are the two things I want to leave you with. In what ways are you being pulled? 
And are you ultimately worshiping God? Or are you bowing down to the ways of culture? Are you bowing down to the ways that you think? But also, if you're in the flames right now, may you be encouraged that God is preparing you for even greater things than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for, again, the goodness of your word. We thank you for Rashad, Meshach, and Abednego, even in a time of great pressure, Lord, that they did not stand, uh, they, they stood firmly for you, that they didn't uh, let, uh, let go of their faith, but they stood firm to declare where their allegiances are, how they follow you, and how they love you. God, I pray for this kind of faith. I pray, Lord, that during this time of trials and this time of pain, may we, God, uh, also shine for you. Because Rashak, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith wasn't only just their own. In their declaration of your faith, I am sure that they encouraged so many that day as a testimony of how great you are. So may that be true in our lives as well. And may we experience your love. May we experience your presence, even though we walk through the flames, even though we walk through trial, even though we walk through pain and brokenness. May we know, God, that you are with us, that you're not far away. You're alongside with us right now, right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.